You're listening to the Fieldhouse Friends Podcast. It's episode five here with my co-host Sam Lance. My name is Connor Becker and we're here to get you caught up on a crazy weekend in college hoops. For the first time ever, all top six teams in the AP poll lost in the same day. And among them were your Kansas Geox with a tough loss in Waco on Saturday night. We'll get to all that and more next year on Fieldhouse Friends. Welcome back to Fieldhouse, friends. We're talking Kansas Jayhawks basketball after a tough loss in Waco Saturday night when the Jayhawks lost the Bears 80-70 to in a game that probably would have, you know, guaranteed them a share of the Big 12 title. Um, Sam, what would you get from that game? Well, there were a lot of storylines, I think, from the, the Baylor game in Waco. Uh, first one being that Baylor kind of really dominated KU in transition. I mean, all year long... Transition scoring has kind of been KU's strength. It's been what they've, you know, whenever they get out and run, that's whenever this team looks its best, the ball is moving, all those sorts of things. I mean, but against Baylor, it didn't it didn't look like that at all, but Baylor looked really good in transition. And, you know, KU only turned the ball over a season low five times, and Baylor was still able to, to get out and transition and convert some baskets. Uh, just a couple statistics. Entering Saturday, KU averaged 10.1 fast, fast break points per game in Big 12 play. Uh, Baylor really just outscored them 22-7 to on the fast break. And a lot of uh, KU's volume of shots came from behind the arc. Season high, 28 shots, and they only hit seven. So... You know, it was just kind of a tough outing for KU in transition. They the the Bears kind of just beat them at their own game. Yeah, I think the you know the transition edge just was non-existent there for Kansas on Saturday, and and Baylor took advantage of that. So uh, I, th- I think with with how Baylor played so well in the second half, I think it really bogged them down to a point where they weren't going to find a groove because you saw they kind of had a rhythm early on in that first ten minute stretch or so, but it seemed when they wanted to really establish themselves in you know in transition like you said they had a tough time and I think Baylor saw that read it and took advantage of it well transition it all starts with rebounding and early in the game KU they were controlling the glass they were ahead of Baylor I believe they were ahead 16 to 9 in the rebounding category to start at one point and that did not end up in KU's favor KU was out rebounded 40 to 38 by Baylor and 31 to 22 on the defensive glass KU pulled in a lot more offensive rebounds and actually converted 22 second chance points, which was pretty impressive, but they just weren't there on the defensive glass. And a guy like Jalen Wilson, who's averaging the third most rebounds per game in Big 12 play, he didn't come through. He only pulled one offensive rebound, or sorry, one defensive rebound during the course of the game. So, I mean, Ochai Baji kind of said it. After the Kansas State game, you know, it all starts with rebounding. He knew from the beginning of the season, if KU can rebound the ball and push down the court and get out and run, that they're going to be successful. And against Baylor, you know, they weren't able to secure the the defensive rebounds, and, you know, it, it showed. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think Dave McCormick ended up with, like, 13 rebounds, which I thought was pretty high compared to what we've seen from him in the past. But I think it was Kansas' ability to really turn around and score on those would really hurt him in the end, especially in the first stretch where they were in control, you know, leading by 13. Um, but, no, like you said, it's, it, was, it was a tough night on the, re- on the boards. And even with Dave's high numbers, I still think it wasn't enough to get the job done. 
Yeah, I mean, Dave had seven offensive rebounds of those 13, uh, and he tied Ochai and CB for the most defensive rebounds. So, you know, you you just got to get more on the glass if you're KU in that game. I mean, Flo Thamba uh, kind of dominated KU inside as well. I believe the paint points were, were pretty in Baylor's favor too. 40-32 to 32 it ended up. So that was another thing that, that kind of stood out to me. But what do you make of the return of Remy Martin in this game, Connor? Oh, Remy did a good job, I think. And because I think he exceeded a little bit more expectations. I think people, a lot of people thought Remy was going to come out and get one less minutes than he had and two just be, you know, less, less excitable. He was a little bit animated, hit a three a couple minutes into his, uh, into his return. And I think that's probably as good as you can expect from someone that's missed seven straight games due to that knee. Yeah. I mean, he, he came back, uh, he practiced the past two days, self said on pregame radio. Uh, he also said he would likely be a game time decision, but of course that decision was for Remy Martin to play he came in at around the 12-minute mark. Uh, he had that tape on his right knee. He's kind of had that compression sleeve at times. He had the tape on it this time. And it was his first action since the Kentucky game. And, and I'm with you. I thought Remy did fine. You know, he came in. Uh, he, he he did, you know, what he was supposed to do. He moved the ball. Uh, really, the only thing that I would critique about Remy Martin was his defensive effort. But, I mean, he was just kind of thrown out there in a hostile environment coming off injury and you know it's going to take him a second to get you know his feet back underneath of them especially on the defensive end that's a tough task to ask of anybody you know nonetheless Remy Martin who's you know been battling and you know missing practice due to therapy and whatnot so I I think that's probably the best start you can have it's unfortunate it had to be the Baylor game was his first game back but uh, well, it's going to be interesting to see what he does here this two games against TCU, which were, you know, a very specific and very unique circumstance for Kansas to have and will be beneficial for Remy to get, you know, some good reps in. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, Remy was one of six KU bench players to play in the first half. So, you know, Bill Self was going to actually quite a few players to, to get those reps. Uh, Yesifu played, of course, and he was actually out there with Remy for a little bit, which is, you know, a look we haven't seen too much in that, like, you know, Kansas basketball fans kind of dreamed of that scenario coming into the season, you know, having Remy and Yesfu out there at the same time. We haven't really seen it that much. Uh, Mitch Lightfoot, of course, was out there. You know, he didn't have one of his better games. Uh, I believe, yeah, he he <laughs> he played four minutes and had four fouls and, and no points, no field goal attempts. So Mitch kind of had an off game. He didn't play that much. Uh, you also have... A guy like Jalen Coleman Lands who came in, and then Zach Clements was in for a short stretch, and KJ Adams. You know, Baylor was really utilizing that uh, kind of stretch five with, uh, I believe, it is uh, Sokan at the at the five, and they were kind of playing that look. So KJ Adams came off the bench as well to kind of switch five. Uh, Connor, what did you just make of you know the bench output this game? Uh, a little unfortunate that we couldn't get a few more names, you know, putting numbers in. And I think KJ KJ Adams had some moments that really uh, kind of probably went under you know underappreciated. I mean, I think one of them was like a two hand jam. But other than that excitable moment, we really didn't see too much off the bench. You know, what like what you alluded to with Yasufu and and Lightfoot, Coleman Lands, and even Dewan Harris, who you know is, he's a starting player who, you know, went silent that night, 0 of 6. So I don't think it just stems from the bench, but obviously those, you know, those starters set kind of a precedent for those guys when they come in. 
Yeah, I mean, Self kind of, you know, tried out a bunch of different lineups there in the first half, and then in the second half he was much tighter with the rotation. I believe it was only Remy, uh, Yesifu, and KJ who kind of played there in the second half. Uh, So, you know, he was a little tighter with the rotation then, but it will be interesting to see as KU moves into these last three games and then the Big 12 tournament and then, of course, the NCAA tournament. How is this rotation going to shape out? And if Remy Martin's good now, if he's healthy, you know, how many minutes really will will he get? Uh, and, you know, it's it's kind of up in the air. But were there any other kind of takeaways you had from, from the Baylor game? Uh, I think a big one really kind of stems from what you were talking about just now. You know, I don't know how you plug people in, you know what I mean? I think Self got kind of comfortable with how things were going in the first you know, 10 minutes of that game and thought, well, I think we can afford to mix things up a little bit. Well, it turned out to be a little bit more of a mess than he might have anticipated. So I think going down these last three games, it's going to be really you know interesting to see how he plugs people in and especially when, you know, because you can only give so many minutes to so many guys and, uh, you know, you take away too many minutes from one guy, you might miss out on some real flashes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would just say that, you know, this that game had huge Big 12 implications. You know, if KU wins that game, they have a share of the conference. Texas Tech lost to TCU just a few moments before tip-off. Uh, I mean, the game had ginormous NCAA tournament implications as well. I mean, if you think about it, with Gonzaga, uh, you know, all basically everybody in the top five yesterday uh losing actually the top six and then texas tech at the nine spot all losing in the ap poll you know ku had an opportunity to beat a quality number 10 team a top 10 team and move maybe into the number one spot with all those losses but you know the jayhawks they didn't they didn't come out with the win in waco and you know you just got to move on there's a big week coming up against you know TCU twice and then closing out the season to get revenge against Texas if KU defends home court they have a share of the conference no for sure they're in a comfortable spot you can't ask for a much better situation especially this late in the year to be able to lose a game to Baylor and say it's okay we can go back next week we have two games with the Horn Frogs and then we close out our season with Texas so I think Kansas is in an okay spot there's no need for panic but damn you would have liked to have that win in Waco Welcome back to Fieldhouse Friends. I'm here with Michael Swain, the KU football and basketball beat writer for Fog.net of 24-7 Sports, a.k.a. my boss. He has graced us with his presence today. Swain, how's it going and how was Waco? Doing good on the way back up, making the journey home right now, but it was a good trip. Good to see Baylor for the first time for me. Uh, you know, maybe the game didn't go as KU fans would have liked, but still a, a cool experience. Yeah, how was just the atmosphere there in Waco? I, I think they broke a record for attendance in the building. Yeah, I didn't I didn't actually know that they had broken that until kind of halfway through the game when they kind of just announced it within the arena. I didn't know that I was expected. Um, but it was probably the loudest away game I've been to so far this season. It was louder than Kansas State for sure. Um, so it was really impressive, and I think the – the Baylor fans in general really definitely showed out for this one. Yeah, what was just your biggest takeaway from the game last night? Um, I think in general it's what happens when someone other than Ochai Baji doesn't really step up. 
you know, obviously Christian Brown scored in double figures, but you look at some of the other players that as of late have kind of put together good performances, you know, Dave McCormick was all right, but he's a little gimpy right now with this foot. So he wasn't a hundred percent. Jalen Wilson was a minus yesterday, which I think is really big considering the fact that he's been KU's second leading scorer for most of conference play. I think that was kind of my biggest thing with, with Wilson was it didn't seem like the, the driving lanes were there for him and Baylor really went out of their way to try and kind of clog the paint. And as a result, he took a lot of three pointers and settled for a lot of long shots. And this team is not necessarily a great three point shooting team. They have Ochai Bosch, who's an incredible three point shooter. But outside of that, you know, not a lot of guys are going to take high volume three point shots. So I think in general, it was one of those games where I think you just got to tip your hat to Scott Drew. Um, the way that he coached that game was great. The adjustments they made to go small and really try and play Dave McCormick off the floor and then take advantage of guys like KG Adams, Mitch Lightfoot. Um, I think that was a really, really good coaching job from Scott Drew. Yeah, and yesterday was, of course, the return of Remy Martin. What did you kind of make of, of his return to the floor? I don't want to be dramatic, but it was pretty bad. Um, you know, I, I went through this morning and kind of went through all the defensive clips, and he only played 11 minutes, and there were about four or five different defensive mishaps that either led to open shots or um, and ones, things like that, that you look at, and even if Ronnie Martin was 100%, some of these plays are just kind of inexcusable where he goes, I don't know if rogue's the right word, but kind of just does his own thing, and it results in kind of the scheme getting messed up. So, you know, and offensively, he didn't really offer a ton, right? No assists. He made the 1-3 over Sochan in the first half, but in general, he didn't have a lot of burst getting by guys. So it wasn't great. And I think you always have to have nuance when talking about Remy Martin, right, where you have to understand that he missed a month first game back right it, it's tough for him it's a knee injury so explosiveness isn't going to be there but i still think there were some things there just in terms of the intent to the ball um and offensively maybe the aggressiveness that just weren't there so i really should see what the next week looks like because i think that might set the table for what his role looks like heading into postseason M- michael do you think Keyu needs him to really you know hit his ceiling and get back up to par um y- yes i think that when KU has played at its best this season. It's had those two guard lineups. You know, going into this week, I, I really felt that Remy Martin, if he was able to kind of seamlessly fit into things in terms of creating and his passing and pushing the pace, that yeah, like KU could definitely reach its ceiling. But the issue is, if Remy Martin isn't defending, he's not going to be able to floor because Bill Self is not going to play someone that is a negative on the defensive side of the ball if offensively they're not just an extreme, extreme plus. And Remy Martin wasn't that yesterday. So I do think that, you know, for KU to make a Final Four and, and go that far, I do think they need Remy Martin to be better than he was yesterday. I mean, if, if you add Martin back into the conversation, which it seems he obviously is, what, what do you think this means just in terms of minutes for someone like Joseph Yesufu? Yeah, that's the person I was more intrigued, kind of the minute total, because it seems like Yesufu had taken some steps forward here in recent weeks, really since Martin kind of left the rotation. And I wondered what his role would kind of look like. And now Yesufu had a few defensive mishaps, and there's a shot clock violation that almost happened because he didn't attack when there was like five seconds left. But I think that he's someone that can still get minutes. And I was really curious that, you know, it seemed like Remy Martin almost took away some of those minutes, where I wondered if Martin would kind of take on that Bobby Pedford role of, you know, you're going to play a few minutes each half and, and just see how it goes. And, and you know, someone like Yesu will kind of continue to play that 
four, five, six minutes a half. So I think that it will be very interesting to see kind of how that guard rotation plays out because KU has looked really good when it's played with those two guard looks, but it's just a question of now at this point of the season, have you played enough of that? Yeah, Swain, do you have any other takeaways that you kind of wanted to bring up from, from the Baylor game? You know, in general, I think it's there's a common theme here. When KU goes against athletic five men, there's an issue there, um, and it creates a bad matchup. You know, Sochan, got to give him a lot of credit. I mean, man, he played incredibly well. Same thing with Kendall Brown. Um, I think those are two players that, you know, man, they'd look pretty good if, if they were with KU and Bill Self system as well. So I think that's a recurring issue here. You look at what happened with Oklahoma, right, where Dave McCormick got played up the floor against Tanner Groves. Um, and if McCormick isn't 100% with his foot and with the kind of the knee that will swell up at times, it's going to be tough because, you know, you can't pick your matchups in the NCAA tournament. And if there's a team that has an athletic five man, that's a really, really tough matchup. And I don't think Mitch Lightfoot, you know, Mitch Lightfoot at this point, we know what he is, right? You know, he's, he's a good guy to come off the bench. But if there's an athletic five man, like Mitch Lightfoot can't slide with him and he might be able to cover him in space. But if, they get, if that guy can put the ball on the floor, you know, Mitch isn't going to be able to defend him. And I think you saw that last night. And then even with guys like KJ Adams and Zach Clements, do they have the trust of Bill Self at this point to go and roll with them in kind of these do-or-die situations when you get in the postseason play? So I think that's a really intriguing dynamic heading into March, and it creates kind of one of these things where you're really going to be looking at the matchups that you get because if they have favorable matchups where they kind of play more lumbering big men, you like KU's chances because McCormick will be able to hold the zone and someone like Mitch Leifel might be able to buy you some minutes as well. But if they go against some of these athletic five guys, man, that's just a tough matchup and it's going to be on Bill Self and, and the staff to really try and scheme their way out of that. Yeah, just shifting gears now to those last three games left on the schedule. KU plays TCU twice and then Texas. Uh, all three games are in a short span. What do you kind of expect out of KU over this last stretch, and what are maybe some things KU needs to show heading into postseason play? Yeah, I think for me the biggest thing is, you know, what does that guard rotation look like, and what are kind of the minute allocations for Remy Martin and Joseph Yesifu? Uh I think that's kind of the big thing I'll be looking for. Um, as for what I expect, I think KU ends up, you know, I think they're going to win the Big 12 outright. You know, obviously Saturday was an opportunity to do that, um, or at least claim a share on Saturday with the one more win, giving them the outright title. But now your room for error is very minimal, right? You know, you need to, I think, win three now to, to claim the outright title. And so I think that KU will do enough to win the Big 12. I think it's just a question of can you kind of come out of here and, and come out with the, the outright title. And for me, I look at the Tuesday game because I think KU at home, senior night, you feel pretty good about that against Texas, even though Texas has won the last three games. And at home in the second leg of that kind of back-to-back style of, of format against TCU, you like them there. So I, I do look at that Tuesday game. And, of course, you got to keep in mind, right, the, the Bills stealth sat, how good they are off of losses. So I think KU ends up winning the Big 12. It's just kind of a question of, you know, are they going to have this 3-0 week, which I lean yes. Uh, so just mo- moving ahead here and just to a different question, um, do, do, do you think Ochai Baji is a lock for Big 12 Player of the Year? And, you know, how, how would he stack up for that national award? Uh, I don't know about national. I think Oscar Sheepway at Kentucky might be on his way to locking that up. I think he's been fantastic. But Ojai Baggio undoubtedly is the Big 12 player of the year. That's, that's without question. I think you look in past years, right, the team that wins the conference, 
um, and the best player on that team tends to win the award. Now there's instances of like Buddy Heald, right? But I think that Ochai is for sure a lock for that. I think for me, I kind of look at Ochai thinking, okay, can he kind of make it to the ceremony there uh, at the Final Four when they have kind of the, the three or four finalists um, there in person to kind of highlight. So I think I'm looking for Ochai to maybe be a part of that group, but for the National Player of the Year, I think that's a tough one. Uh, another senior Jayhawk, uh, David McCormick. You know, what, what have you made of his activity levels? Just you know, as of late, is there something you kind of want to see out of him? Maybe you know, be a little bit better at, or see a little bit more from? Yeah, I think in general, it's hard to judge David at this point for me, just because you look at what he's had to deal with now. Where I think it's pretty obvious that he's not one hundred percent, and they're really trying to manage this foot injury that he has, and that's kind of as the season's gone on. Bill Self has alluded to it more and more that they're not one hundred percent. If you like listen to the broadcast last night, like they mentioned it multiple times that Dave isn't hundred percent. So I think you got to credit him. He's certainly getting it out right now at this point. And I think that he's done what you can ask for. He's been a presence in the paint. And I think you can see what happens when McCormick isn't on the floor. It's a layup line sometimes because KU's on ball defense is not the best on the perimeter. And when you don't have a big body like McCormick in there, it, it's tough for you know KU to stop guys at the rim because Mitch Lightfoot is not a shot blocker um, when he's facing guys up. He's okay in those chase down situations, but in terms of when someone's running at him, he's not great at blocking shots. Um, thing with KJ Adams, and we haven't seen enough of Zach Clemens to really know. So I think Dave McCormick has done everything you could ask for him. He's gutting it out, um, and I think you just gotta for him try and keep him healthy and, and see if maybe Big Twelve tournament. Maybe can you just get him off his feet a little bit keep him uh it doesn't even need to like sit the entire thing but can you keep him at like maybe you know eight to ten minutes a game or he's not having to really uh strain a bunch swain you alluded to it a little bit later but or sorry earlier but can you talk more about the dilemma with ku's high ball screen defense yeah it's tough because there are different ways that you can kind of attack it right you know baylor yesterday really looked at attacking what KU will call like a, a MIG where kind of the guard in the corner will sag off and go into the paint. And Baylor was able to get a couple and ones yesterday doing that. And so what happens then is if KU then starts to sag off and have before it, you know, sit off so that they don't get in the paint, well, then you kind of open it up for someone to pick and pop. And at that point then, that's when McCormick really struggles because closing out big guys in space is not something he's really good at. So you saw that with Tanner Groves in Oklahoma. You saw it obviously with USC last year. And it's just been a, a common theme with McCormick throughout his KU career and really even KU scheme under Bill Self where you don't guys book even had that happen, you know, uh, a few years back. So I think for KU, their on-ball defense from the wings isn't great, right? Ochai is fine. Christian Brown is fine. Jill Wilson's below average. And Dewan Harris is um, fine on ball, sometimes off ball, you can take advantage of with the size, but in general, they don't have this defensive stopper like a Mark Scared to go out and, and kind of slow the guys down like that. So they need to be a really good team defense team. But when McCormick's not on the floor, really tough to do that because you don't have the paint presence. And when McCormick is out there, if a team can space the floor, then that creates another dilemma for KU. So it's one of these things where, you know, Bill's out on the staff will have to kind of scheme around it to some degree with what they do. And they're going to have to live with some certain shots. They're just going to have to give up and kind of dare opponents to beat them in a certain way. Big picture, do you think KU has the pieces to get to the Final Four? Of course, definitely. You look at what they have in terms of the wings, and if David McCormick is able to play kind of that high 20s minutes, I think they definitely can. And I think it's all going to come down to more or less what the bench does because 
I mean, if yesterday showed us anything, it's when the bench isn't good. I mean, man, it's it's tough for KU to, to buy minutes. And Ochai played 33 minutes yesterday. And you're looking at him being a, you know, I don't like plus minus a ton in these one-game samples. But for an example like yesterday where Ochai was like a plus two and Remy Martin was a minus 14, you know, that, that's a big differential right there. And so I think for KU it's going to be about can the bench get guys, can they hold serve basically? When Ochai's on the floor, when Christian Brown's on the floor, can the bench just hold serve and not get outscored by a bunch and keep KU in these games? Because I think Ochai and the team has shown that if they're in these kind of one-possession games late, they can pull out wins. And I think yesterday in the Texas game are really the only two instances where that hasn't happened. But, man, you can think of so many times, right? Oklahoma on the road, Oklahoma at home, Oklahoma State on the road. There's so many opportunities where KU has been in these one-score games and they've been able to see it out. So I do believe KU has a talent to do it. But I think it's going to come down to really, you know, can the bench not just be a sieve? And can they hold serve when they need to get Ochai some rest? Well, Swain, that's all we have for you as of now. If you would stick around with us for a little guest game coming up next, that's what we'll be doing. Thank you, Swain, for, for coming on today and talking some, some hoops with us. And make sure you head over to fog.net for for all of our coverage and we'll be right back on fieldhouse friends welcome back to fieldhouse friends we're here with michael swain the ku jayhawks beat writer for fog.net we are going to have a little game with him here mr swain you've been dropped on an island and you have got to choose from the following options uh number one which final four run are you going to take on tape I'm, I'll pick 2018 because I got to see that person. I thought that was a, a fun team to cover and one that had a lot of fun personalities between, you know, someone like Devontae and Yudoka at that point was more quiet. But I thought that was a really fun team to cover and, and one that offensively I think was uh, maybe one of the best offensive teams efficient, efficiency-wise of, of the Bill Self era. Do you have a favorite kind of moment from that season, from that Final Four run? Oh, of course. I think – you know, outside of like getting to cover the final four and getting to go to San Antonio and all that, I do think being there for the elite eight, um, I was able to kind of sneak into one of the courtside seats there on, on fresh row. And nice. there's a moment there where after they, they had the final buzzer sounds and Legio Vic kind of jumps up on the table right in front of me and like is celebrating. I've got a cool video of it on my phone uh, somewhere, but that's probably one of the cooler things I've, I've experienced kind of in my few years here covering sports. He jumped up on the press table. Yeah, yeah, right in front of us. It was really cool, kind of to pump up the crowd and all that. It was uh, kind of like uh, John Wall back in the playoffs, maybe <laughs> uh, five, six years ago when he's with the Wizards after they beat the Celtics. Very similar to that. Yeah, that's awesome. I was kind of switching gears here a little bit. What three albums are you taking along Deserted on a Desert Island? Oh, man. Uh, first one, probably Damn from Kendrick Lamar. Um, I love that album. That's a good one. Uh, Metrona from Lincoln Park. I always liked that growing up. That's a good one as well. And the third one, let's see. Um, maybe, I don't know, a Drake album of some sort. I, I couldn't give you a name. I'd have to go back and think about my favorite Drake albums, but one of those. All right, all right. So along the same lines of entertainment, if you could take a movie series, um, you know, just like a, a complete movie series collection, uh, 
what, what are you going to go with there, Swain? Oh, give me the Fast and Furious movies. I'm, I'm big on the, uh, the action and the racing, and I think those are uh, fun to have, and there's so many that you've got to pick from and get your, uh, your speed on. Well, Swain, there's no internet on the island, but somehow you have access to just one Twitter page. Who's your lifeline? Uh, I'll pick the Dan Levitard show with Stu Gotts. That will get me through entertainment-wise. It's a pretty funny uh, Twitter account. Awesome. Lastly, um, you got one abundant snack source that you can have on hand on the island. Oh, snacks. Oh, man. See, if if I don't care about survival, (laughs) I'm going to pick sour patch kids and, and just rock with it if i need to survive i'll pick like some trail mix from like Trader joe's or something but i'm a big sour patch kids guy what about you connor what snack are you going with i don't know see you may you raised a good point you know you could either just say forget it i'm gonna die and go with something you like or uh or get something some kind of good snack i i, I do like fruit i do like apples or something like that like a good like honey crisp apple just to have a bunch of those mm. I'd, I'd go with goldfish. I don't think you can go wrong with, with just a big old sack of goldfish at all times. I, I get too thirsty. You only got salt water around there, so. Maybe. Well, anyways, that was On a Desert Island with, with Michael Swain. Thank you, Michael, again for, for joining us on Fieldhouse Friends today. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for having me. Definitely enjoyed it. We're back on Fieldhouse Friends for a little mailbag segment. Mail time. I'm here with Theron Cook. Theron, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, hello, I'm Theron Cook. Um, KU student. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Um, I'm a finance and business analytics major, and I just really enjoy uh, basketball. I've played it my whole life. Go ahead and lay it on us, Theron. What is your fan mailbag question of the week? Uh, my question is, how big of a role do you think Remy will play in the tournament? Well, that is an interesting one. Uh, I would have to say that, you know, Remy Martin could really kind of succeed as that kind of six-man, uh, you know, secondary ball handler off the bench role. And I think if he gets acclimated, he gets comfortable, that knee starts feeling good, and, you know, he starts kind of executing more on the defensive end, he could maybe be a guy who's on the floor, you know, in the final five minutes of the game, which is what Self says really matters as far as, you know, who gets what playing time. I think you're right. I don't see him in any other role really than than coming off the bench and making a, you know, a, a flash here or there. It's a shame, too, because at one time I think people thought he was going to become really, you know. I mean, he uh, was the Big 12 preseason yeah, player of the I, year. I, I think people thought he was really going to become one of those, uh, you know, big players that really influenced the game down the line for Kansas. But unfortunately, it's just not the case right now. He's in a different role. And what that will be, you know, only time can tell here in the last uh, three games of the regular season. But uh, it'll be interesting come March for sure. Moving into our Twitter mailbag, let's get down to it. We got our first one, just says final four question mark. Um, 
Sam, what, let's start with you. What, what do you what do you got in your bracket there for the final four teams? Well, I mean, first I just kind of want to start with KU. Uh, I'd I'd really have to see the bracket. You know, I don't really like making these like final four type picks whenever I haven't seen the bracket yet because it really depends on matchups, who's where, what teams play what, all of that sort of thing to to guess uh, if a team's gonna go to the final four or not. And you know, a lot can change as far as you know KU and my perception of them. You know, these last few games, but right now. I'd have to say no. I, I don't think KU is going to make it to the Final Four. And, you know, yesterday, uh, a lot of teams lost. They're top six in the AP poll lost, and then Texas Tech at nine lost. So, I mean, there's a lot of like, – it, it just shows that this March is going to be crazy with how many teams – there's so many good teams out there. And a lot of these bubble teams, like, you know, take a Michigan, for example. They're 15-11, and 11, right? Just one of these bubble teams. They were predicted a top-five team before the season, and they're hitting their stride now. I feel like there's a lot of teams like that that just have a ton of talent and are kind of piecing it together. So, I mean, this year it's going to be harder than ever to kind of piece together that Final Four. But this is who I have right now. I have Kentucky. I mean... Saw firsthand what Kentucky can do. Oscar Sweebway, I think, is the National Player of the Year. Then you have Severe and Ty Ty, two playmaking, quick, fast guards who can get downhill. And then you have a shooter in Kellen Grady and pieces like Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin, uh, off the bench who play forward, grab rebounds, play defense, stuff like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And tech, er, uh, Kentucky is really, really athletic. And then you have another team who lost yesterday. Uh, three of these teams that I'm going to mention first all lost yesterday, by the way. Kentucky lost to, uh, I believe it was at Arkansas, which is a tough game. But then you have Texas Tech for me in the Final Four. Uh, I think Tech, they may not be one of the most talented teams out there, but I think they have the pieces that just fit together. Uh, Bryson Williams has been great. Terrence Shannon, uh battled injuries this year he's back uh Kevin McCuller he's a great player I think Texas Tech the way they guard their top five Ken Palm defense defensive efficiency the way they guard I think they can lock up teams and and find a way to get to the final four uh and then I have Gonzaga I don't think there's any question that Gonzaga is the most talented team in the country Chet Holmgren is insane He's literally nicknamed the Unicorn, and there's a reason for it. He's out of this world uh, with his ability. You know, you think KU's good at playing fast. Their five-man, David McCormick, can't grab the rebound and push it in transition, but Chet Holmgren can. And then you have other guys like Rasir Bolton and Nemhard who control the pace uh, at, at the guard position. I mean, Gonzaga just has all the pieces again. Then you have five stars off the bench that – come in as freshmen do their thing so Gonzaga is obviously one of those teams I think is going to get there and then kind of my sleeper team for the final four is Ohio State Ohio State they beat Duke earlier in the year uh, when healthy I think Ohio State is a top 10 team and it's because of one man uh, who I got to see firsthand in high school played against him all the time EJ Liddell he's a phenomenal player in my opinion, he should be kind of in that top five 
uh, discussion for National Player of the Year. Uh, I don't really think he's kind of in that. I think he should be, uh, as well as Big Ten Player of the Year. But, I mean, Ohio State, they I think they have what it takes to maybe get to the Final Four. Last season, that was kind of the same scenario with Washington, uh, some of the other guys they had last year, but they didn't get it done. So I think this year could maybe be the year they get there. Not bad pick, Sam. Uh, when I'm putting together my bracket, I kind of had a little bit of trouble just because of how you know shifting everything is going on right now. Everything's kind of moving around, especially with all six of the, those top six teams losing yesterday on Saturday. Uh, but <clears throat> nonetheless, I put together a list of four teams. I kept Kentucky the same as long as you. I, we saw enough from that game in Allen Fieldhouse to know that they're, you know, what they're capable of, capable of in the right circumstances. And then I paired them up with Duke as well, who just rocked Syracuse on the road yesterday and ended up having three players: Benchero, Mark Williams, and AJ Griffin, all dip into twenty point, you know, plus scoring against the Orange. Uh, so those are two teams that I think are pretty firm locks that are comfortable picks that aren't too far out there. Uh, the third one I took, I think they're number 15 in the latest poll, is Illinois, uh, just because they have a skill level that, you know, that we talked about off-air that, you know, just hasn't been fully appreciated yet. Uh, they posted wins over teams like Michigan State and Wisconsin, which are, you know, tough Big Ten opponents that really, you know, have tested them throughout the season. And la- lastly, I-, I threw Purdue in there. I think they're number four in the latest poll. And they're another Big Ten team with the potential to make a splash in the tournament because they are so gritty and have, you know, have won four straight before yesterday's loss to Michigan State, which in itself is a tough game for any Big Ten team. Yeah, I, I like all your picks besides the Purdue one. I have, you know, just a little – I don't have, like, a, a problem with Purdue necessarily, but uh, I think they're one of those teams, right? If you look at their efficiency ratings, uh, they're number one in offense, but they're in the 100s in defensive efficiency. And I think that's kind of one of my red flag teams. I think Purdue's one of those top seeds that I think can get upset, and they kind of have tended to do that over the past few years. But we'll see if they can kind of, you know, turn around this year. But, you know, as you can see, neither me or Connor had Kansas in our Final Four. That could change. Uh, That could change if I see a bracket. And we'll get back to that, you know, whenever the brackets come out in Selection Sunday which isn't too far away, but we wanted to look ahead at another thing here is one of the fan mailback questions. What would the Big 12 tournament look like if it started today? Currently, the Big 12 standings shape up like this. Kansas is, of course, number one, 12-3. Baylor second at 12-4. Tech is 11-5 with the loss to TCU. Texas is 10-6. TCU is fifth at 7-8. K State six six and ten, Iowa State seven seven and nine, and then Oklahoma is eighth at five and eleven. West Virginia ninth at three and thirteen. That's as far as tournament seeding goes, because Oklahoma State is of course ineligible at six and ten for the Big Twelve tournament. Uh, so basically, if the tournament started today, KU would play the winner of West Virginia Oklahoma if they win, uh, if they remain the number one seed. And the winner of that game would take on the winner of the number four and number five seed, which right now shapes up to be Texas or TCU. So that could be a rematch against Texas, potentially round three against the the Longhorns this year. Uh, And that would be the semifinal contest. And then on the other side of the bracket, you have Texas Tech, Iowa State, 
Baylor, and Kansas State as the potential teams to match up with KU in the championship uh, if KU is able to get that far. And, you know, all four of those teams, I mean, neither of them is a team that's that's an easy contest. So that's kind of how the the Big 12 is shaping up here. And then the last fan mailbag question that we have today is where has Bobby been? Uh, unfortunately, Bobby Pettiford has been lost for the remainder of the season due to an injury. Uh, Michael Swain of Fog.net was actually the first one to report this. But yeah, on Friday, uh, Bobby Pettiford's season officially over. Uh, basically had surgery to repair a core, core muscle in his pelvic area. According to Bill Self, it's been bothering him since this past fall. So Bobby Pettiford is no longer with the Jayhawks. Uh, I mean, you know, do you see kind of a role with him maybe next year, though, Connor? Yeah, it's too far to tell at this point. It's really going to be kind of, uh, you know, they said the surgery went well. Um, I believe it was an abdominal strain, right? That, yeah. That plagued that started that. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's just going to be his off season. That's really going to tell us where he'll be, and uh, we're going to hear about it probably down the line. People will, you know, let us know how he does. But the good thing the news is that surgery went well, and he's uh, on the path to the recovery and. You'll, you'll see it when you get there, but right now business is, as usual for Kansas, they're going to have to move on without him, and, uh, and and you'll have to just watch and see where it comes in the offseason. But right now I think it's one of those things that people are just kind of pushing out of the way and not thinking about yet, but it will be a, it'll be a topic of conversation down the road. Yeah, once again, KU closes out the season with a road game at TCU on Tuesday, then they play TCU in Allen Fieldhouse on Thursday before taking on Texas inside Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday, March 5th, to wrap up their season. That is going to wrap it up for our fan mailbag segment, and therefore for episode 5 of the Fieldhouse Friends podcast. Connor, can you believe it? You know, we've made it to episode 5. Here we are. I, you know, it kind of flew by a little bit, you know. Yeah, these, these weeks have certainly flown by, and here we are gearing up for, for March, and we'll stay with you on Fieldhouse Friends episodes every Monday around noon. Stay tuned, and thank you for joining us here for Episode 5.